You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here is your host, it's Mr. Carl Stebbings. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 45 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me via Skype from many miles away uh, across the, across a few uh, a few uh, rivers and, <laughs> and and seas the odd sea or two yes is Matt Smith hello Matt joining us from uh, the sunny island of Lanzarote Yes, yes. Uh, no, no disrespect, Carlos, but I have to be honest. Where I'm rec- where I'm talking to you now is significantly better than the kitchen studio. I'm not going to lie. Oh, <laughs> rub it in, rub it in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I intend to throughout the entire show. In fact, that thank you. I'm sure, I'm sure the listeners will appreciate that. <laughs> cool, blimey. So uh, you're joining us in on February. It's a Friday evening. It's uh, just coming up to half past seven. And uh, we're here to record episode 45. As I said, Matt is in sunny Lanzarote. He's uh, enjoying a little summer or sort of winter, winter sun vacation, aren't you, Matt? Indeed, yes. No, it's been very good, actually. I mean, we've had a couple of days that have been uh, sort of poor weather-wise, but sort of this morning, yesterday and the day before, we're sort of the heights are sort of between 19 and 21 degrees. So it's uh, I'm in danger of coming back sort of off-white, which is excellent news. Excellent. So, Matt, later on in the show, after the news bits and that, you're going to tell us uh, how your flight was over there and yes, uh, tell yeah. us about all your uh, exciting uh, times there on board uh, the aircraft you're on. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, yes, indeed, can't wait. <laughs> so we're going to kick off the show as we always do. Uh, it's going to be a, quite, a kind of shorter show this week, uh, obviously due to Matt being on holiday. Um, but we're going to yes. kick off the show as we always do with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt, across the uh, seas there... <laughs> This is Lanzarote calling. We are ready. Thank you. Right. Let's go. So kicking us off this weekend, the first news story from the Travel Weekly site, this one. And uh, Airbus are considering a stretched super jumbo. Now, this is a story we've talked about previously on uh, a few episodes ago. Me and Matt talked about uh, the A380 possibly redesigning itself uh, due to Airbus coming up with uh, a um, quite uh, strange statement earlier on in in the year that they may consider finishing uh, producing the A380. But uh, Airbus are going to continue to... uh, Produce the A380, and uh, considering... I must, I must admit, I'm I'm not surprised. I, I can't believe when we were reading the story out that they were gonna, they were even considering sort of pulling the plug already because it's such a young aircraft. It is. Um, the story goes uh, on the Travel Weekly site that a stretched version uh, of uh, the A380 uh, could emerge, according to European manufacturer Airbus. Uh, Reviewing performance in 2014, executives from the company said the double-decker A380 could evolve in the future. The company is also launching an an extended range A320neo twinjet with an additional fuel tank, giving the aircraft the capability to fly transatlantic between Europe and the US coast. Airbus President and Chief Executive Fabrice Briget uh, said that the company continues to see a bright future for the A380, which is uh, in use by 13 airlines across the world. 
The priority today is finding other customers for the A380 current version. And uh, he believes that we can all do this because the A380 is the most efficient today and tomorrow, he said. The possibility of a higher density cabin is being offered with 11 abreast seating in economy class while still retaining an 18-inch seat pitch where comfort standard for all long-haul flights. In the longer term, I believe we will move uh, to evolutions of the A380. One might well be an A380neo concept, meaning some upgrades of the aircraft together with a re-engineering which uh, would make sense, Brigere added. As uh, the 380 is a young platform, we will continue improving this aircraft in the coming 20 years. Uh, there'll probably even be a stretched version depending on the market demand and looking at what we can technically and financially do. The aircraft goes after the market that everyone said needed a replacement. Segments flown by the older 757-200s where the single-aisle jetliners are used on long-haul operations, he said. We foresee some 500 aircraft in replacement, but it's more... Uh, there's uh, there, there's another 500 aircraft space for growth from the new market opportunities that can be flown by the long-range A321neo, which will burn about 30% less fuel. Airbus has said it's exceeded its targets for 2014 and beaten Boeing for the number of orders. Airbus announced that it had won 1,456 net orders last year, down from 1,503 in 2013, but above Boeing's total of 1,432. However, Boeing remains ahead on the number of aircraft delivered, uh, 723, compared, uh, compared to Airbus's 629. So good news, Matt, that they, uh, they're they considering possibly uh, changing the uh, dynamics of the A380 then and keeping this aircraft um, in production. Well, like I say, I mean, I'm not surprised in any way, shape or form. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, as I say, it's such a young aircraft, I can't believe that they were even considering sort of phasing it out already, really. I mean, which which came first? Was it the Dreamliner or the Airbus? Oh, God, blimey, you got me there now. I think it was... It oh, wait, was it, yeah, I know, I know. God, it's, it's late at night, you see. I've got a pint of beer in front of me. Um, <laughs> uh, I know, I know. It was, I think, I'm pretty sure it was the A380 that came first, but any listeners, right. if, okay. if any listeners uh, uh, say something different, then please do email us. Um, but yeah, I think it was the A380 that came first, and then the Dreamliner came after that, but I'm, I'm right. possibly wrong. But, but uh, both are fantastic aircraft, and like uh, I've said before, I've, I've flown on the 380 now a few times. And um, yeah. Matt, you've got you've got to experience it because it is uh, it is truly awesome, a really awesome aircraft to fly on. Definitely, I, I think I'd enjoy it a lot more in business class, but it may be a little while before I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. It is definitely uh, it's it's the way to travel. I've done it once. I'd love to do it again, but. Um, it's only affordable when you're so, blagging a free upgrade. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, the, the 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 posh side aside. I mean, what 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 are the sort of what makes it such a, a stunning aircraft over, say, just a standard say seven seven seven? I mean, what's the what's what sort of sets it apart? I think it's just the space, really. I mean, even in the economy in right. the three eighty, the space uh, that you get on 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 the airline that so I've flown, uh, Emirates and Qantas. Uh, in economy, yeah. it's the space you get the the feel of sort of uh, the, you know, your headroom's a lot higher, the um, the sides of the fuselage bow or bow outwards further, uh, kind of give you a more um, 
sort of spacious feel. Even if you're sitting next to the window, you're not sort of elbowing the window. You've got loads of space right. there. Um, and it's just an all round. You know, you can get up and walk around. You've, 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 you know, you haven't got to knock into the seats. You can normally sort of get past two people in the aisle at the same time. It's, yeah, it's it's is a is a is an awesome aircraft, and uh, one I hope you you get to fly in at some time, uh, point in the future, Matt. I suppose at the, at the the same sort of end, if you like the the uh, it is also almost open to abuse, as you say, like where they're talking about doing the stretch um, version, where you could possibly have you know sort of eleven aisle, you know, eleven seats in an aisle type thing. I mean, yeah. could could that be? Uh, you know, there could be occasions where sort of the cheaper airlines perhaps are buying these with a view to putting more passengers People, on board. Yeah. I think I think a story we covered uh, last week was uh, involving. I think was that the A three eighty as well, where they were going to uh, basically. Well, pack it to the rafters with passengers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it all boils yeah. down to to cost and you know how much. Cost, uh, yeah. And also, you've got to, you've got to put uh, as they say, you've got to put a bum in each seat um, for it to pass. Well, yes. Otherwise, it's not going to be profitable, is it? I mean, exactly. That's, that's, that at the end of the day, it's all about the numbers, as you say. Definitely is. So moving on to our next story, and uh, Matt has yep. uh, pre-recorded uh, his uh, <laughs> his read on these stories just in case we had a Skype issue. But uh, yes. so for our next story, this is from BBC News, or more specifically BBC News South East Wales, and uh, the headline: Cyprus Airways plane stored at St Athan. A Welsh aviation company co-owned by Iron Maiden frontman uh, Bruce Dickinson is looking after a fleet of Airbus jets following the demise of Cyprus Airways. Four A320 aircraft arrived at the St Athan airfield Vale of Glamorgan on Sunday and a fifth is expected to fly into Wales in the next week. Cyprus Airways, the national carrier... Um, shut down suddenly on Friday uh, after the EU Commission said that the Cypriot government had breached subsidy rules. The plane belonging to the planes are belonging to a leasing company. There had been speculation in newspaper reports on Tuesday that the jets were being hidden in the UK to avoid claims from EU officials or other creditors. Cardiff Aviation said. Uh, after maintenance, the planes are expected to fly for a new airline under different livery. It's good business for us, said Cardiff Aviation's managing director, Ray Raoul. They will go into our hangar when we have a slot for them and they'll have uh, maintenance done, he said. It's an opportunity for the local economy and it will help to create jobs, said Mr. Raouf. We were joking that we now have more aircraft than Cardiff Airport. The jets are currently parked on an old runway at St. Athen. Uh, Cardiff Aviation was started by the heavy rock band's lead singer in 2012. Okay, so we covered this story then on the last show, didn't we, Matt, with Cypress Airways? Mm, Yeah, um, yes, it was uh, literally sort of new breaking story, wasn't it? Yeah, that was uh, brought to us. David Harris um, uh, made us aware of that. It's sad news, really. I mean, Cypress Airways, I haven't flown with them, but my uh, grandparents have flown with Cypress Airways quite a few times. And um, obviously their their aircrafts uh, are going to have to go somewhere. I mean, um, the leased ones will obviously go back to the leases. And I presume the aircraft that Cypress Airways owned uh, are going to be stored. And once things are wound down completely with Cypress Airways, I would imagine the aircraft will um, will get sold sold on i suppose to pay pay yeah. off debts and stuff um well yeah i mean it's because uh, they're, they're not that uh, even the ones that cyprus their own they're not that older plane are they so they're still sort of no the three, you know, three, three yeah, 320s yeah. yeah um 
I mean, I, yeah. I was just reading a story it, online because there's a lot, obviously, a lot of passengers who had booked holidays and stuff with Cyprus. Yes, of course, yeah. Um, just an update on us on the Daily uh, Telegraph site. This one was uh, just a few hours ago. This one was updated. But uh, yeah. it, it does say on here that um, that flights that were booked directly with the airline are not covered by the Civil Aviation Authority's atoll scheme, uh, okay. which is a shame. Um, but obviously people who paid via credit cards will obviously be covered right, yeah. um, with by their credit card companies. Scheme, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a shame. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it is a shame, and, and I, I suppose you can understand from the EU, you know, from the EU's point of view, in the fact that essentially it become a you know a government owned airline essentially, which uh, I, I understand from EU rules is not permitted. I I, I get it's, it's, it's a shame that that they can't sort of overlook it because it is a shame to lose lose uh, an airline. But um, I mean, I guess if they're in trouble and it's not profitable, then then you know something radical has to be done. Exactly, exactly. The um, the airline had uh, seven Airbus A320s um, in their right. fleet. And uh, just the A320-200 series. And the average age of their fleet um, for the older Airbuses was 16 years. Um, right. So it sounds old, but um, but obviously it's new by by aircraft standards, really. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Most of the aircraft in the fleet were around a sort of eight or nine years old, which is still quite young for an aircraft, really. Um, but, yeah. But it's a shame. Yeah. It is. It is a shame that uh, you know this this has happened, and unfortunately, you know, these things do happen. In the, I'm, in, amazed, in the... I'm amazed. Somebody, I'm amazed somebody hasn't sort of bought it out. If you see what I mean, I'm, I'm amazed that another carrier that was you know perhaps fighting to get in because I mean presumably they aren't the only airline in Cyprus. I mean. No, well, no, they're the, they're the national airline of the of the country, but right, um, they are obviously there's, there's well, in a lot the same of, way that British Airways is ours. Do you mean? Yes, yes, yeah, they're the, the, the yeah. national airline. But uh, I was reading uh, reading on uh, the news story that I read on here for the Telegraph, hmm. and uh, funnily enough, our favourite airline, Ryanair, <laughs> uh, has stepped in. To uh, oh. offer rescue fares for the Cyprus right. Airways passengers that were left stranded, and they right. were offering offering these fares for um, people to get home back to the UK right. for seventy quid yeah. uh, to oh, get right. them back. Well, that's from, pretty good, though. Of Ryanair, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whether yeah. whether the well, seventy I mean, pound they... increased to one hundred and seventy <laughs> after baggage fees and stuff, I don't... <laughs> taxes and things like that, yeah, <laughs> sounds about right. Yes, yes, but no, they they oh, did yeah. uh, they did step in to to help there. So uh, there we go. Well, well, well. There's a little pat on the back for Ryanair. Yes. So next story then on uh, the Reuters or Reuters website. Reuters. This one, Reuters. Yeah. Yes, thank you, thank you, Matt. Uh, <laughs> it's it's actually concerning Ryanair, and uh, Ryanair are to trial Wi-Fi in-flight entertainment systems this year. Uh, we ran a story. I think it was a few episodes ago. We, we did sort of briefly touch on Ryanair maybe trialing uh, Wi-Fi, um, but uh, Ryanair does plan to trial in-flight entertainment and possibly Wi-Fi on some of its flights uh, this year in its latest attempt to attract business travellers and families who were turned off in the past by its bare basics offerings. 
Since uh, a pledge last year by Chief Executive Michael O'Leary to stop unnecessarily annoying people, that's not quite the word he used <laughs> on here, Ryanair has slashed penalty charges, overhauling its website, tripled its marketing budget and launched business class fares. While Ryanair has long been synonymous with levying extra charges for services offered free on more established airlines, it says it may offer both of the new services free of charge. Uh, Chief Technology Officer John Hurley told journalists on Tuesday uh, the improvements to its much maligned customer services helped the airline boost ticket fares and increase passenger numbers by 10% this year and has sent the share price to an all-time high last week. Ryanair, which made a failed attempt to rent out in-flight entertainment devices a decade ago, will try again with a system that streams films and television shows to customers' smartphones and laptops on flights to holiday destinations this summer. The service, launched by several US airlines recently, may be offered free of charge, subsidised by advertisements uh, for companies operating in the destination city, Hurley said. Wi-Fi will likely be trialled later on this year on routes frequented by business travellers, a key focus for the airline which launched a flexible business ticket last year. Pricing has not been yet decided, but light use for emails may be free, while heavier usage will be more expensive, he said. The service is unlikely to be offered on all planes. Uh, So there we go, Matt. So possibility that we might have... uh, a kind of in-flight entertainment system on a, on a Ryanair 737-800. That's very exciting. Do you think it will be installed and fully functional before Sunday? Uh, do you know what? I, I just don't think so. But I'm fairly really? sure I'm fairly sure that uh, Matt Smith travelled to Lanzarote with a tablet device or some sort of uh, entertainment system. Am I right? Yeah, well, and this, yeah, and, and this is the this is kind of the point, really. I mean, I, I, to be honest, I don't think unless they make it free, nobody's going to pay for it because I mean, I wasn't the only one sitting on that flight with a tablet in my hand watching a film. I mean, I downloaded three or four films onto my tablet so that I've got I had two to watch on the way here, and I've got two preloaded on it, ready to go on the way home. Mm. I've got a couple of programs off the BBC iPlayer that are all downloaded for me to watch in the airport I mean I really can't see you know unless it's free I mean it's yeah. it's not going to work you Definitely. know I mean it, they might as well sort of you know not not bother frankly I mean it's you know people have got used to the idea of the fact that especially with Ryanair and, and I mean I think if you're doing long haul obviously it's different you've got you know I think Emirates with who you go with quite yeah. a lot of the time obviously I mean they're in flight enter- entertainment as one awards I mean it's you know, stunning. Oh yeah, definitely. You, you've got so much choice. You, you haven't got, you've not got enough time uh, <laughs> no, to, to, to no, look to watch everything. All of the box sets, but <laughs> no, yeah, I, I mean, like, I'd, like to, I'd like to go around the world, please, before uh, before we land. If that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I see what you mean, Matt. It's that you know, if they're not going to offer this for for free, you know, yeah. Every, I think most of uh, most of our listeners and probably you know majority of the people who travel nowadays have a tablet or a smartphone that can yeah, uh, that can show yeah. films. And I mean, I've done it myself. I mean, there, there, I mean, there were people sort of sitting sort of a couple of miles down from me, and I mean this in the kindest of possible way, but they were of an older generation, shall we say, uh, and they were still sitting there with an iPad. And uh, the guy sort of two rows down from me was um, watching. Um, what used to be open all hours, um, you know, with um, 
not not Ronnie Barker now, obviously, but um, David Jason. Oh, David and, Jason. And he was yeah. watching an episode of that while he was um, while he was on the plane. So I mean, <laughs> you know, so many people have got tablets now. Yeah. Uh, as you say, they're just they're just not going to bother. So it's got to be free, otherwise it's just not going to work. Definitely, definitely. Well, we'll we'll keep an eye on that one. And uh, I shall be uh, definitely uh, getting my tablet ready for when we fly with Thompson uh, later on this month for definite. <laughs> are you are you not tempted? You're not tempted by Ryanair at all. <laughs> no, well we not, we usually do fly with Ryanair to be fair to uh, to Mulder, yeah. uh, but that won't be till September. But we're we're flying with Thompson, uh, Thompson Airways um, uh-huh. in February, so beginning of February. But you're coming here, aren't you? We are, yes, yes, uh, for the benefit you're of the come, listeners. You're coming we, to Lanzagrotti as well. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes me and the, me and the uh, me and my wife Gemma have decided to uh, to travel out to where Matt is now uh, for yes. a couple of weeks um, at the end of this month, at the end of January. So uh, well, yeah, I can highly recommend it. It's absolutely glorious here. It really is. I oh, mean, good. even in January, it's sort of any, anything between nineteen and twenty-one degrees. It's been, uh, it's been, it's been wonderful. It I really have to has. say that that's better than the zero point four degrees that was showing on my uh, weather station downstairs before I came up here. Oh dear! Oh, is it chilly <laughs> where you are by any chance? They are forecasting quite a strong frost this evening. Yes. <laughs> It was splendid. It was splendid. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, the the only saving grace because I mean, all, all jokes aside, we have been a little bit worried about how we're because not being funny. I've got work on Monday morning. If you see what I mean, uh, just sort of a bit nervous about. Uh, you know, I'm hoping that because it's a sort of eleven o'clock that we leave. Um, you know, uh, the the airport here in Lanzarote. I'm just hoping that uh, uh, we're not going to run into too many problems when we get to Luton. But uh, I suppose that's the advantage about landing. Hopefully, sort of about three o'clock. Well, no, you're you're right. You're safe because Monday they're forecasting showers, so you're fine. Oh, are they? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's going to be hot. It's going to be four degrees. So, oh, sorry, text message. <laughs> Oh hello, incoming! Uh, incoming! <laughs> yes, you, you're gonna you're gonna be flying home to four degrees, so you're fine. You're fine. Oh, splendid! Yes, uh, I, I, I've only bought a light jacket. Will that? Be- <laughs> oh, that'd be fine. We, less okay. about the weather. Anyway, less about the weather. We should move on. <laughs> we should think, move on. Right, so next story, as recorded by Matt, is... This one is from Travel Weekly, and it's sad news for American Airlines as they are hit by decline in international markets. Fourth quarter revenue at American Airlines will be down as traffic declined in some international markets. The carrier narrowed its expectation for pre-tax margin, excluding special items, to 10% uh, from an earlier projection of as much as 12 Americans' traffic or miles flown by uh, paying passengers slipped 7.4% across the Atlantic and 6.2% en route to Latin America in December, while US domestic traffic edged up by 0.5% year-on-year. Pacific traffic, which represents smaller overall numbers, rose by 24.4%. The passenger load factor for the month was down 3.4 percentage points to 80.4%. Annual traffic across the Atlantic was down by 1.3% over 2013 levels, while overall international numbers remained static. Fourth quarter revenue for each seat flown a mile, an indicator of traffic and fares, is expected to be unchanged to down 2% 
American Airlines has said. The airline shares fell 4.7% at $49.58, the biggest decline since December 16. According to data compiled by Bloomberg, before yesterday, they had risen 77% over the past year. This one, American Airlines then, a huge uh, airline across the pond, as we say. Um, but uh, obviously they're seeing, like as, as the story says, they're seeing uh, a decline in international markets. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, they're obviously not getting something right, are they? I mean, if you know, when you think people like Virgin Atlantic and, and that who, who operate quite heavily out of America, you know, and they're seeing their their revenues and their traffic going up, they're obviously not appealing to to the market, are they? I mean, it's uh, it's a job for the marketers, I think. Definitely. So, following on from that story, there, Matt just uh, found a story online about American Airlines and their uh, pilots have flown or they've gone across to the Boeing plant in uh, in Seattle and American Airlines uh, pilots are trying their first flight or flights in the new Boeing 787 Dreamliner. Oh, cool. Do you think that's what the problem is? Possibly. I mean, are they are they flying predominantly older aircraft? Is that, is that maybe why people are are losing interest in? No, in, I mean American, American Airlines. Airlines. No, they rebranded. They they had a new uh, paint design logo and stuff. They brought in online last year. Uh, right. With the logo and stuff, because uh, if you remember, American used to have that that stunning kind of polished fuselage underneath fuselage. It was kind right. of a brushed aluminium kind of. Um, well, not a painted. Oh, yeah. it, it wasn't yeah, painted. Yeah, it was so. just a very polished aluminium under underbelly. Um, That's right. Yeah, sort of, it looked a bit like the buses almost. With you know, the yeah, American like the Greyhound buses. buses yeah, that, um, but yeah. American rebranded and obviously had their logo redesigned and stuff. Um, much to a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people preferred the the original logo. I thought the original right. logo was fantastic. Um, but I mean, yeah. the, the, new, the newer logo is is grown on me. I must say. Um, yeah. But. Uh, the actual uh, the logo itself. Just seeing the pictures on here on the uh, Dallas Morning News site, and uh, the pictures of the seven eight seven Dreamliner with the American colours on. It uh, looks awesome. It does look really really good. Um, yeah. And as it says here, the uh, American Airlines staff uh, are, are kind of trialling the aircraft and uh, seeing uh, how it all uh, how it works. And obviously the pilots are training, doing their training on the seven eight seven. Ready for when it goes into service with American Airlines. Uh, and, when, and when are they hoping to bring it online? Um, just reading through, it doesn't say in this particular news story. I'll have to research that. Um, it mm. can't be long if the pilots are being trained. I would imagine it'll be like just no. earlier on this year. I would imagine it'll come in, in fairly soon this year. Yeah, poss- so, possibly um, for sort of start start of twenty sort of sixteen type thing. Possibly, uh, or it, or it, it possibly could be kind of by the middle of this year. I think. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. yeah. So, next story. Well, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Come on, far away. <laughs> oh, you're right. Carry on. Okay. That's the only trouble with Skype. Isn't okay. it? Sorry. I know. Yes, I know. Yeah. So, next story. Uh, this one that uh, I picked up. This was on Sky News actually earlier this week, and uh, it was. I think it was. It was posted on our Facebook page um, when I found this, and it's regarding a BA uh, seven or triple seven uh, two hundred. Uh, that uh, had an incident with a hanger mat. Oh, no. No. Yeah, so the uh, story is, this is on uh, the Yahoo News site, and uh, a the um, headline is, bang, or BA 
NG bang. <laughs> British, oh dear. British Airways plane hits hangar. So the BA triple seven two hundred was being towed to a uh, engineering base at Heathrow Airport when its wingtip struck the building. Um, it was going into the building for a routine maintenance check at the time. No one was hurt, and the airport was uh, oh, it continued to operate as normal. The BA's engineering and operations are carried out well away from areas used by passengers, and in the statement, BA said that the engineers are working to repair the damage, and the aircraft will then be fully inspected before returning to service, and all our flight schedules continue to run uh, as planned. Uh, this was a few days ago. This is Monday, Monday the twelfth. Whose fault would this be, essentially, if it's because um, uh, it, it's obviously it's not being guided in by the pilots because it's being sort of towed in. So, I mean, is this the fault of the, the ground crew? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, the the aircraft itself was being towed by a tow truck um, to to the yeah. hangar, and the the pictures that were posted uh, on Sky News as, as well as um, the Yahoo site that I'm looking at here obviously show yeah. the wingtip. Um, of the aircraft um, got a, a kind of embedded in the opening doors, the front hangar doors of uh, of the hangar itself. Literally, it's only the, the first few feet of the wingtip which uh, have struck the um, the building itself. Uh, but obviously, you know, with anything like this, there's going to be damage, and everything has to be checked yeah. out. I mean, how, how resilient are they? I mean, is a little knock like that a serious issue? Or They're fairly resilient. I mean, they they can repair these these issues quite well. I mean, um, going back last year, Ryanair had uh, a few incidents last year with uh, with their seven three seven eight hundreds. They had a few incidents where there was wingtip sort of um, um, you know. Um, hitting various things at airports. Right, okay. Um, And, you know, these things, although they are, you know, they are annoying for the airline itself because it puts the aircraft out of commission, um, they are are repaired um, easily. These sorts of damage are repaired fairly easily by the the maintenance guys. But uh, there will be, I think there will be some... um, Kind of, uh, how should we say, um, thick ears heads rolling. after this, yeah. heads rolling. Yeah, after this. Yeah. Um, but it's it's kind of strange because just I'm thinking to myself now. When, you know, when we move the aircraft at the flying school where I'm learning to fly, I mean, these are Cessna one seven twos and Cessna one fifties. But you know, even when we're moving these aircraft, which you can move yourself because they're so light, you still have someone yeah. with you. Uh, keeping an eye yeah. on the wingtips and stuff because there are other aircraft parked right. on the airfield, buildings and posts and stuff. Yeah, uh, you always have someone with you just monitoring as you're moving the aircraft or moving the aircraft to say, you know, you know, stop, you know, don't go any further. But um, it sort of almost begs the question as to why there isn't somebody near the hangar, you know, especially with the larger aircraft where we're talking sort of, you know, full size Boeings and, and that kind mm. of thing. Why there isn't somebody operating a similar system to what you've just described? Yeah, because the triple seven is a, a quite a big aircraft, Matt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it, it's it's not something you'd fit into your back garden. So. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> So uh, we're going to move on to our next story, and uh, this story was, uh, again, pre-recorded by you, Matt. Okay, this is from Mashable.com, and the headline, 
Planes flew from New York to London at near supersonic speeds due to the powerhouse jet stream. A jet stream roaring across the North Atlantic at more than 200 miles per hour early Thursday morning nearly succeeded in bringing back supersonic air travel to the New uh, York-London route. Several flights from New York's John F. Kennedy Airport uh, made the trip there to London Heathrow uh, gate-to-gate in about 5 hours and 20 minutes. British Airways Flight 114, a Boeing 777-200 jet, took off from JFK at 10.50pm ET and landed at 9.06am our local time, taking just 5 hours and 16 minutes to, to make a trip that typically takes more than 6 hours. At one point, according to FlightAware, the jet was travelling at a ground speed, which is the speed at which the plane is travelling relative to the ground, of 745 miles per hour. For comparison, the speed of sound at sea level is 761 miles per hour. In other words, the 777 helped British Airways live up to its legacy of operating the Concorde aircraft on that route until 2003. The actual spare airspeed of a 777 was considerably lower though, and the plane was travelling within normal design limits, below the speed of sound at altitude according to the FlightAware data. The North Atlantic jet stream typically reaches its peak intensity during the winter months when the temperature contrasts between the equator and the North Pole is largest and such feats of low flying times between JFK and Heathrow tend to occur in January and February. Right now the jet stream is associated with the return of the polar vortex related cold across the US with temperatures of nearly minus 40 degrees observed in Maine and frozen fountains observed in Atlanta, Georgia. Conversely, the flight back from Europe can be significantly longer due to the headwinds blowing from west to east across the ocean, particularly in January and February. Flights using single-aisle Boeing 757 aircraft can end up requiring an unexpected fuel stop once they near the Canadian Maritimes or New England. American Airlines Flight 121 from Paris to JFK Airport scheduled a fuel stop in Bangor, Maine, on Thursday evening, according to FlightAware, after flying up and over Greenland to avoid the rough and tumble headwinds. Such diversions can be costly. In December 2012, United Airlines 757 had to stop 43 times to refuel out of nearly 1,100 flights headed to the US, according to the Wall Street Journal. The reason was an unusually strong jet stream blowing across the North Atlantic. A year earlier, there were only 12 unscheduled stops on around about the same number of flights uh, the paper reported. The 757 has a range of around 4,800 miles, which makes some of the routes between Europe and the US very close to its maximum limit, particularly when there are strong headwinds that, uh, that, lower, the, that lower the ground speed. Of course, the Concorde used to fly the route much faster at speeds of up to 1,350 miles per hour. According to a British Airways fact sheet, its highest transatlantic crossing was on the 7th of February 1996, when the New York to London flight took just 2 hours and 52 minutes and 59 seconds. To avoid the 200 mile per hour plus core of the jet stream, where the winds are strongest, flights between the UK and the US have been taking an unusual route, flying closer to Greenland rather than heading due west across the Atlantic. 
British Airways Flight 117, a Boeing 747-400, arrived at JFK at 1.31pm ET on Thursday after a 7-hour and 35-minute journey from Heathrow that, the, that took the aircross across the southern tip of Greenland. Typically, flights uh, from the UK to New York cross the uh, Atlantic further to the south and don't cross Greenland. The jet stream is helping to spawn a series of storm systems that are uh, barreling uh, into northern UK as well as Ireland, bringing heavy rains and wind speeds of up to 100 miles per hour or greater uh, through Saturday, particularly in northern Scotland, according to the UK Met Office. Dublin Airport in Ireland suspended operations at one point on Thursday night due to the high winds there. Okay, this is from... Wow, Matt, that is pretty awesome. And, you know, I, I read, I read that, the story earlier in the week. Just explain something to me here, because it's, uh, it's, it says obviously in the story about how um, uh, you didn't have to worry about the integrity of the aircraft, because although it was in this jet stream, it wasn't actually flowing any faster than it's designed to do. Now, now, just explain, is it basically because it's being carried by the jet stream, therefore it's not under any kind of pressure, is that what it means? Yeah, that? less resistance, it's, it was kind well, yeah. it was, you know, it was a, a kind of a case of uh, sit back and enjoy the ride, eh? <laughs> right, okay, just as well as going in the right direction then, by the sound of it. Yeah, I mean, this this doesn't happen all that often, I, I, I don't think, you no. know, it's not very often you see this, um, this sort of news story as such, but I mean, to have a relative ground speed of 745 miles an hour um, yeah. is, is just, it's just crazy, you know, um, as as you said on, on the it's, story. It's barely like 20, it's barely 20 miles an hour slower than the actual speed of sound. Mm. I mean, I'm amazed there weren't sonic booms at some point during its flight, you know. But, I mean, it, it must have been brilliant for BA to be able to sort of say to the passengers, look, you know, uh, the, the flight's going to be five hours and 16 minutes long. Yes. Um, you know, as opposed yes. to the well, usual flight time. 45 minutes earlier than <laughs> intended. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty so amazing. You get five or ten, you know, get five minutes sort of either way sometimes, don't you? But you just think, oh my goodness, goodness me. It's like, we've arrived an hour before we left. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, those, but I mean, oh, if you're on the plane itself, you wouldn't really, you wouldn't even feel any difference at all, you know, on the aircraft no. itself. No. Um, but obviously the pilots were kind of sitting at the front thinking, well, pff, we're not using much fuel here. No, <laughs> switch switch off the engines. Playing off again, yeah. <laughs> uh, but for those of you. For those of you listening uh, and want to know more about this particular phenomenon, uh, if you go to the Mashable UK site, and that's MASH as in M-A-S-H-A-B-L-E, Mashable as in mash buds or mashed potatoes, if you go to that site, mashable.com, this story is there. And there's actually a video that you can go to uh, that explains all about uh, the jet stream and how it works um to this to the advantage of this aircraft so have a look on there and you'll be able to see more info on that i know i've said it before but i still to this day don't understand why um concord was taken out of service no. and not replaced with something it's money matt it's, it's yeah it's yeah. all to do with yeah, the money yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it, you're right it was a massive leap backwards i think in uh, aviation yeah. when they when they got withdrew the Concorde from service. Definitely, definitely. Well, I hope somebody is seriously regretting that decision. 
Well, I would imagine there probably is someone regretting that decision. I think. I mean, I think that I think if they brought it back, there'd be there'd be demand for it. I personally do. Yeah. You know, the amount of business uh, that that uh, is is done between you know the UK and the US, um, and obviously oh, yeah. the the aircraft that uh, you know you that the business guys fly from uh, London City Airport, yeah. the A three eighteen that flies from London yeah. City Airport to uh, to the US. You know, it, it doesn't get there as quick. Um, you know, where Concorde no. was obviously, you know, a class of its own in speed and times. So, well, and, and, this, and this is the thing, isn't it? It's, you know, in, in the world of business, time is literally money. They'd rather pay a bit more and get there sooner and get home again sooner. You know, I mean, it's just, I, oh, I'm just I'm just amazed. I'm just amazed. You say it's all down to money, but I, I'm pretty sure it was making money, that particular airline. I mm. can't imagine that Concorde was running it as a loss. Oh, well, we'll have to, uh, I actually, just you're saying about the Concorde as well. I was looking at a story on, on the internet this week, Matt, and yeah. it, uh, someone had take a, uh, taken a picture of uh, one of the Concords that was retrieved from service, a BA one, and it yeah. was sitting uh, parked up. I think it was at Heathrow somewhere, and really? it was yeah, it, it, it just it was dirty. It was you know it was covered in um, just uh, dirt and, and rubbish. And dirt, yeah. yeah, and it looked really, really, really sad. And I just cannot believe that you know. This aircraft, you know, is sitting there, and could have been moved to a museum and t- to be looked yeah. after. I mean, you know, Duxford Imperial War Museum yeah. uh, at Cambridge. Um, you know, they've got their the obviously the test Concorde in the hangar, yeah. which is obviously dry and uh, and and you know and really well looked after. Um, but yeah, yeah. you know, I, I cannot. You know, I just cannot understand why you know this aircraft has not been you know donated or or given to to a museum somewhere in the UK yeah, for I, people to see. I mean, I, I've I've been to Duxford and I've actually looked. You know, as you say, like um, it's because it's, they've shown some of the interior workings, haven't they? So they take some of the seats out so you can see like the wiring and the panels and everything that are all behind it. And you think a perfect um, sort of complement to that would be to one to be sitting next to it that was completely intact, especially if it's just sitting, uh, you know, sitting on the runway at Heathrow, just, you know, gathering dust and rusting. Yeah, it's a, it's a terrible waste, a terrible waste, yeah, it really it is. Yeah. Um, but there you go. That's uh, that's us over here, isn't it? In the UK, that's what we do best. I think is um, is ruin things um, for for the younger generation with aviation. Well, I don't, no, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you there, Carlos. I think we're very good about preserving um, historical things. Just for whatever reason, um, this particular aircraft hasn't been receiving the historical merit that, that yeah. perhaps it deserves and unfortunately they may realize it's sort of worth perhaps too late too late you know yeah the younger generation yeah. you know is only going to know the concord in books yeah. rather than um you know, to be able to go up and physically see the aircraft yeah. unless you go to no, like we said Duxford. so uh, that is where we bring the uh, oh, the uh, commercial and um UK and world aviation segment to a close. We've got a few stories of uh, military news to come, and uh, we're going to play those for you after this. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. 
I'm Steve Fisher. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we go. <laughs> Yes, don't forget to check out those guys, the PCDU guys over there, uh, Down Under, uh, Stephen Grant, make an awesome show, love listening to the uh, Playing Crazy Down Under podcast. You need to download one of their shows, Matt, and listen to one while, you're, what, while you're out there in Lanzarote. There as well. go, on, go, on and, uh, go on their website and download their show and listen to it while you're there, definitely. <laughs> so uh, we have got a segment coming up uh, after the military news segment. We've got a segment from Pip again this week, uh, which he sent in to us, uh, Pilot Pip, from the Plane Safety Podcast. So we're going to play that to you uh, after the military news segment. So if you're ready, Matt. I, well, I am braced and ready. <laughs> Let's go. So with some military news stories, and we're going to kick off this week uh, with a story from the Flight Global site, as we always look at for our military news. And this one's regarding the AW129 uh, on target with top light integration. The Raphael's top light electro-optical sensor system is undergoing acceptance testing on the Italian Army's Augusta Westland AW129 attack helicopters. Toplight is intended to serve as the main targeting system for the helicopter, which will also carry the company's spike anti-tank missiles. The system enables day or night observation, uh, target detection, recognition and identification through sensors including daylight, forward-looking infrared and laser rangefinders. It also features manual and automatic targeting tracking modes. Raphael orders, uh, offers top light as a standalone system or as part of a weapons package that also includes its spike missile family. The software can also be integrated with the aircraft's radar, navigation and electronic warfare systems. And just looking at the pictures here on uh, the Flight Global site of this aircraft, it's, it's, it looks really similar to the, uh, to the Apache, don't you think, Matt? Mm, yeah, no, it does, yeah. It definitely looks it's, like that. Um, uh, it's a stunning looking, uh, stunning looking helicopter. Definitely, um, I don't think I can't remember. I don't think I've seen one of these at the air shows uh, that I've been to in two thousand and fourteen. The the AW one two nine, but this one is uh, with the Italian Army. So perhaps uh, we might not see that, uh, or not, not see the Italian Army over here for an air show. I wouldn't have thought. 
But you're looking forward to the air they, show well, season. I, don't know, they, I know the, I know the uh, Spanish um, come over quite often, don't they? I mean, I know Waddington. There was a, a, a contingent from the Spanish um, um, sort of aviation sort of posse, I suppose, for want of a better word. Yeah, the Spanish so, sent their Harrys over actually this year or last year for uh, Farnborough, yeah. which was good, which is awesome. Yeah. So the Augusta one two nine. Again, though, if there's enough, if there's enough interest in. Um, in 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 the aircraft. I mean, if people are showing enough interest in it, then then perhaps they will. I suppose it's uh, time to write your MP. I guess <laughs> <laughs> we need more uh, need more uh, military uh, people at the uh, air shows as well as uh, commercial <laughs> yeah. aircraft, definitely. But uh, the yeah. the A one two nine is an attack helicopter, and uh, it was right. nationally its national origin is Italy. Uh, manufactured by the Augusta Westland Group, and first flew in September 1983. Uh, it's in service well, with. It's fairly old, yeah. Its uh, primary use is the Italian Army, and there's been 60 of these helicopters built, and uh, they have a unit cost of 22 million dollars uh, each. And like as I said, they're very similar to the Apache in looks, uh, with uh, with a kind of twin cockpit and uh, a rotating uh, gun at the front of the helicopter yeah. itself. Um, but, uh, yeah, a pretty awesome aircraft to look at. So moving on to the next uh, segment, yeah, or next, sorry, next uh, news story, I should say, and there's another one from Matt. So here we go. This is from Flight Global again, and the headline, Peru signs for two more C-27J transports. Uh, Alinea Emelich, <laughs> thanks for that, Carlos, um, and... Alinea Eremachi, apologies if that's not right also, has sealed uh, a follow-on order from the Peruvian Air Force for two C-27J Spartan medium transports in a deal valued at around 100 million euros or 116 million dollars. The Latin American nation already has a pair of the Rolls-Royce AE-2100 powered aircraft on order which are due to be handed over in the coming weeks it has been said deliveries of the two international um, let me start that again deliveries of the two additional examples will take place in 2016 and 2017 and the pair will be operated by the service's eighth air group based in Calalio near the capital Lima it's been said that the C-27J's uh, performance at altitude are on unprepared airstrips was a key factor in the type selection. Flight Global's Ascend Fleet's database records Brew as holding options covering further a further eight of this particular type. So these uh, these particular aircraft, then Matt, just checking up on the Spartan. And uh, they're yeah. a medium-sized military transport aircraft. Um, they're kind of a, a kind of a mini Hercules. Um, oh wow! Yeah, uh, and uh, they're a, a derivative of the Alina Aeronautics G two two two, with the right. engines and systems of the Lockheed Martin C one thirty J Super Hercules. They're kind of kind oh, of right. really, so it's an experienced uh, experienced kit. Then. Yes, it's a well well known piece of kit that. That's that they're designed here, but these are, these are these are again a fairly old uh, design. First flew in September 1999, um, and they're in service with the Italian Air Force, uh, the USAF, and the Hellenic Air Force as yeah. well. Um, but there has 
been um, quite a few of these produced, not a total figure here, but they are unit costs of $53 million each for these particular uh, aircraft. Again, I'll have one, please, on back order. But uh, they're, 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 you know, another... I mean, you look at these aircraft, you know, this one alongside the Hercules, alongside the A400M, and they're all a very similar kind of looking aircraft. Obviously, the Spartan that you've, you've talked about here is a twin-engined yeah. uh, um, uh, aircraft, whereas, like, the Hercules is obviously four-engined uh, uh, aircraft. Um, but yeah. uh, all in all, a fantastic transport and uh, military aircraft to see. These, there was one of these at yeah, okay. uh, at Riyadh um, last year. Remember me and uh, me and Simon saw one of these at Riyadh last year, uh, which was yeah. good. So, uh, yes, moving on to our next or last military story, and mm. this one is regarding the RAF typhoons, uh, and they've arrived for their reg f- uh, red flag test. A squadron strength detachment of the Royal Air Force Eurofighter Typhoons have arrived at Nellis Air Force Base in Nevada ahead of their participation in a three-week red flag series exercise to be conducted from later this month. Ten Typhoons made the journey from RAF Lossiemouth in Scotland with their deployment supported by Airbus A330 Voyager tanker transports from the service's 10 and 101st squadrons. Pilots from its first squadron will now begin detailed preparations for the exercise, which includes familiarising themselves with local air traffic control procedures and flying with the US Air Force units over the Nellis training range, the RF says. A key element of the UK contribution during the Red Flag uh, 15-1 manoeuvres will be to assess the maturity of a new package of enhancements for the Typhoon, incorporating the P1EB operating standard. Uh, Work will include performing so-called swing roll operations where individual aircraft will be required to conduct air-to-air and air-to-service tasks during a single sortie. The RAF plans for its deployed aircraft to release 20 Raytheon Systems Paveway 6 precision-guided bombs during the course of the air warfare exercise. Up to six of the 226 kilogram class weapons will be carried by the Typhoon. Participation in Red Flag 15-1 from the 26th of January will follow an RAF Typhoon deployment to the event 12 months ago, involving pilots from its 6th and 1st squadrons. This was focused on using the Eurofighter in its air-to-air role. Separately, the RAF has established its latest unit to fly the Typhoon by transferring on the 9th of January the second squadron badge from one operating the Panavia Tornado GR4 uh, to be based at Lossiemouth. The reformed squadron uh, or reformed second squadron is the fifth frontline squadron to receive the type, joining the first, third, sixth, and eleventh. Now rebadged as the 12th Squadron, the Marham-based Tornado Unit was late last year, given a one-year operational extension until March 2016. It's one of three frontline RAF squadrons still flying the type, including the 9th and 31st Squadron. So we uh, we talked about this, and I think it was the last episode, Matt, where we talked about uh, that mm. picture that was taken from the A330 Voyager tanker of these um, typhoons in in a kind of formation flying alongside the um, the Voyager, the Airbus three. Oh yes, yes, I remember. Yes. You remember, yeah. Um, so they're there now. They're at uh, Nellis Air Force Base in Nevada. 
so ready to uh, ready to to rock and roll wow. as we say. So it'll be uh, interesting to see how they get on with their um, deployment there across so, across the pond. I say, so is this is this um, are they sort of testing uh, new equipment? Is that what they're out there? Um, yeah, there is a, there of, is a few uh, bits of new sort of equipment and stuff. Yeah, there is a new yeah a few new bits of equipment they're going to be testing while they're out there, and obviously operational procedures and stuff that they're going to um, be um, yeah. sort of demonstrating with the with our, our friends across the pond in the US. So. That's well, and I suppose cool. getting used to the American accent from air traffic control must be a, a real <laughs> challenge, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I've listened to them. If you go on to liveatc.net, you can listen to uh, yeah. to the air to ATC feeds from, from the US. And it, it's, right. it's really it's quite amusing listening to the to the ATC guys there in the US because they're, they're rather more, um, how should we say, more not, not laid back, but they're more... <laughs> pleasant, pleasant to listen to than you know than some of our guys here in the UK. You know they kind of yeah, um, they kind of have more of a rapport with the uh, with the pilots and stuff. Um, those of you right. those of you who listen to uh, airline pilot guy Captain Jeff. Um, he uses the live ATC um, feeds quite a bit uh, for his news stories, and he and Jeff picks out kind of the best. Um, uh, little snippets of uh, audio, and uh, some of the ones he plays on the show, uh, you know, are, are great to listen to for the controllers who uh, who you know can now and again crack a joke, Matt. Even in that kind of what? yeah, yes, what? even that serious situation. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. landing yeah. an aircraft. Oh, and while I've got you, uh, knock knock. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's quite that kind of joke, but they they are oh, right, quite right. they're quite jovial in their, jovial in their responses uh, sometimes. So, so that's where we're going to bring the uh, military news uh, segment to a close for this week. Uh, we've got uh, a segment from Pilot Pip uh, to play in X, which he sent in. And then uh, Matt's going to give us a quick uh, chat on his uh, his flight experience across to uh, to the sunny Isle of Lanzarote. If you're up for that, Matt, <laughs> before you go off to bed. I, I, yeah, I very do. Right, so I, I need to go to the bar, never mind. Oh, the bar, the bar, sorry, the bar. <laughs> right, so we're going to bring you Pilot Pip's segment now. And now, it's time to visit the cockpit and join the man who puts the S in safe. It's the plane safety from the flight deck segment with Captain Pip. Hi everyone, Pilot Pip here with another safety from the flight deck segment. Now, I got the idea for this segment uh, yesterday as I was walking around doing my pre-flight checks in a very snowy and slushy Moscow. And I looked down and noticed that my freshly dry-cleaned uniform trousers were covered in sticky, horrible anti-icing fluid. So I thought, ah, I know, I'll talk about de-icing and anti-icing fluids. So, here we go. Now, any frozen contamination on a wing, such as ice, uh, snow or slush, is bad news if you want to go flying. Not only does it add weight to the aircraft, but more crucially, it destroys the smooth aerodynamic flow of air over the wing and it significantly decreases its ability to generate lift. Now, even a thin covering of snow and ice on a wing can have a dramatic degrading effect on the aircraft's ability to fly. So it's vitally important to ensure that all contamination is removed before flight, or having a clean wing, as we call it. Now, you could go out with a can of de-icer and a scraper and try and get off all the ice off the wing yourself, like you would with your car. But when you have a whole 747 to do, well, A, you'll need a very big can of de-icer, and B, your arm is probably going to get tired before you get too far. So that's just not practical. 
So instead, what we've got is a much quicker way of de-icing an aeroplane using uh, trucks which have very large tanks of specially formulated de-icing fluid on them, which is sprayed onto the wings and critical surfaces. Now, the de-icing fluid we use comes in many different flavours and formulas and concentrations, each designed to provide de-icing and anti-icing protection to an aircraft. Now, in order to effectively get a clean wing, we need to achieve two things. First, we need to totally remove any snow and ice from the wings at the tailplane and flying control surfaces. But simply removing the contamination is not quite enough. What we also need to do is to give the aircraft some protection against further icing and refreezing. For instance, it might be snowing very heavily, so we need to ensure that a layer of snow is not going to settle and refreeze on the wing as we taxi out and before takeoff. So de-icing consists of two steps. First, to remove the contamination, and then second, to apply a layer of fluid that's going to give some further protection against any refreezing or any further icing conditions. Now, depending on the conditions at the time, this can be achieved with a single application of fluid, known as one-step de-icing, or two applications of, of two different types of fluid, known as two-step de-icing. There are many different types of de-icing fluid in use around the world, but in Europe we tend to use just four types. And in typical uh, European flair and imagination, we've called these four types Type 1, Type 2, Type 3, and, you guessed it, Type 4 fluids. And basically what they are is just a, a water and glycol mixture of various concentrations, sometimes with some extra chemical additives thrown in. And they come in concentrations of either 100%, 75-25 or 50-50. And exactly what type and concentration we use depends really on the weather conditions at the time, the air temperature, and how much protection we need in terms of time. So for example, if we've got an aircraft covered in a, a layer of frost, but there's no active freezing conditions at the moment, you know, it's not raining or it's not snowing, then we might use a type 1 fluid, which is basically just a, a hot water mixture, to remove the frost. And then any further protection against refreezing is limited to just a few minutes. But that's okay because the conditions are such that uh, any further refreezing isn't going to happen. It's not snowing or it's not uh, you know hail or freezing rain and anything like that. So just a few minutes protection is fine because we don't really need any further protection. We just need to get rid of that layer of frost. And that extra protection uh, as measured in minutes is what we call a holdover time. And this is num the number of minutes after de-icing that the fluid will continue to provide an anti-icing protection. Now, if we needed to protect against active freezing conditions because it's snowing heavily, for instance, then we might use a type 1 fluid to remove the snow and then apply a layer of type 4 fluid, which is a much thicker uh, fluid and sticks to the wings and stops any more snow and ice forming. And then the holdover time with a type 4 fluid, again, depending on concentration, and the weather conditions could be anything from 30 minutes up to two hours. If it's, for instance, um, raining very heavily, then the holdover time will be much less because the rain, effectively what it does is to dilute that uh, type 4 fluid that's on the wings. Now, it's initially it's a very sticky, thick substance, which is what I got all over my trousers the other day, but it does dilute if, if it's raining heavily. So in those sorts of conditions, the holdover time is less. Now, this... Uh, de-icing fluid is actually very clever stuff. You might say, well, if snow and ice adds weight and disrupts the aerodynamic flow of air across the wing, then why doesn't the fluid do the same, have the same effects? 
And actually, you're right, it would if it stuck to the wings as we take off. But uh, it's been designed by very clever people. And what it does, it has a, a property such that at a certain airspeed, the, the structure of the fluid changes and it, it, and it just flows off the wings. So at typically 30 to 40 knots, as we go down the runway, the fluid will just suddenly will come off the wing, leaving a nice, clean, smooth wing that can generate lots of lift, which is exactly what we want. So it's very, it's very clever stuff. Now, you'll know you've been de-iced on an aircraft, or if you see an aircraft, you'll know it's been de-iced because some of the fluids have very distinct colours. For instance, the Type 1 fluids have a very distinctive sort of red, pink or straw colour. But the most distinctive of all are the Type 4 fluids. You'll know instantly if a plane's been de-iced with Type 4 fluid because it has a very strange luminescent green glow to it. And it's very amusing sometimes if you're taxiing around in the murk and the snow, you'll see a whole line of aeroplanes all glowing green as though they've been dipped in a big tank of radioactive waste. So next time you're at an airport taxiing around and you think, hey, why is our aircraft glowing green? Well, that's probably it. It's been de-iced. Anyhow, there you go. That's a little introduction into de-icing and de-icing fluids. I'll speak to you again on the next episode. So until then, it's back to Carlos. Thank you, Pip, for that and sending that in. It's always uh, always good to hear from Pip, isn't it, Matt? Certainly is, certainly is. Actually, it was uh, it's uh, uh, uncanny. Actually, um, I saw for the first time um, uh, when we flew out uh, last Sunday, and of course they were actually de-icing uh, aircraft, and it's uh, it's a bizarre thing. It is literally a guy with what looks like a massive hose of. It looks like he's sort of putting a fire out. If you see what I mean, he's standing on this like hydraulic platform, busy spraying the aeroplane with this. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I presume it's not quite as uh, crude as the de-icer that we use at home, but uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, a, it's a sort of fascinating thing. I mean, it, it takes them ages to de-ice it properly. Yeah, yeah, and it's essential. It's done properly as well, Matt. You know, as we as we know. Oh yeah. Um, Absolutely, it's got to be done properly. I mean, at the moment, we're yet to have any snow um, here, where where I am at right. the moment. Obviously, where you are at the moment, there is no snow. Um, no, absolutely not. No. I'd be very upset if there was. Yes, <laughs> but it'll, yeah. It'll, I mean, it does. It does sort of bring you know, bring the airports in the UK to near <laughs> to when we have any massive amounts of snow. Yeah. Well, it brings the road system to a grinding halt as yes. well, so the airplanes have got no chance. Yes. <laughs> but no, thanks, uh, Pip, for sending that segment in. Uh, don't yes, forget, you can, uh, yeah. you can find Pip on the Plane Safety Podcast. Uh, you can find him on iTunes. You can download him on there. And uh, you can also go to his website as well, the Plane Safety Podcast. You can type it on Google. Uh, you'll find him. He'll come up at the top of the uh, top of the hit list on Google there to uh, go to his website. And uh, don't forget to download his show each week. He uh, tries to get a show out each week, but uh, for those of you who follow Pip, uh, on Facebook, um, you'll know he's he's well he's he's everywhere, Matt. He's he's one minute he's in Moscow and then he's somewhere else warm and then he's somewhere cold and then he's somewhere warm and oh blimey! He, he, well, he, well just, that's how the the podcast starts, doesn't it? Cause, <laughs> you know, he's noticed how cold it was where he was in Moscow. I like how he just name drops where he is. You know, I'm in another part <laughs> of the world today. And this came to mind. Oh, no, he, I love the pictures he puts as well. He, you know, he puts a few pictures up every now and again and uh, of his view from his hotel and stuff. And, uh, 
Pip, Pip does yeah. go to some rather nice places around Europe, I will I say. I bet he does. I bet he does. Well, he, he's, he's doing the job that I know you certainly dream of doing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, blimey. I'm a bit far away from that yet. Although I have uh, had a lesson today. <laughs> I've been up today. Oh, yes. Um, my yes. first lesson in a month, being as my last two lessons have been cancelled due to our fantastic weather here. Uh, mostly high winds and rain. Um, but, oh. no, I had a, an awesome hour today um, up in uh, a different Cessna uh, than I oh. usually fly. Uh, there's uh, there's three, one, three Cessna 150s at, at the club, um, which we regularly use. And uh, the one that I fly, um, Zulu Uniform, is in for maintenance. And uh, uh, on the uh, mostly on the prop, it's having uh, the prop sent away and uh, having the prop uh, uh, um, sort of worked on and and maintenanced and sorted out and, and repaired and stuff. So they that, do that quite regularly, don't they? Yes, they do that uh, as part of a sort of routine program, don't they? So I was um, due to fly in Hotel Mike, which is uh, another one of the one fifties, and after checking the aircraft and um, taxiing to the runway for takeoff the uh, radio failed which uh, was uh, <laughs> no <laughs> yes it, it well it didn't it didn't completely fail we could still radio the uh, the control room at the uh, airfield that I fly from but uh, it was it was kind of in, intermittent uh, f- uh, problems issues with it so we um, uh, we sort of decided to return to the to the uh, you know the actual parking area uh, or apron of the airfield then I moved to another aircraft, so I went from uh, Hotel Mike to uh, Tango X-Ray, another Cessna 150, right. and uh, jumped in that and pre-flight and stuff, and uh, I managed to managed to get uh, airborne and have uh, have an hour's lesson uh, in that aircraft, which uh, was quite a, quite a challenge because uh, even though these are all Cessna 150s, they're all different in their kind of. Um, Response and how they react, and, uh, and right. the, con- the the controls and stuff are the the actual dials and stuff are in s- slightly different positions to you know the the other one fifties and stuff. So slightly different models between each. Yeah, of, yeah. You know, I mean, they're all one fifties, but there's different versions. Yeah. yeah, of the one fifty. So, um, so yeah, it was uh, quite uh, quite a challenge for me to sort of get used to flying that particular. Um, when you when you when you're used to having kind of like sort of you know, nearly fifteen hours or so in a in the same aircraft, and you go to flying the same yeah. aircraft, um, in, as in uh, type, but a different, um, yeah. you know, different kind of version, different instrument panel. Yeah, it, yeah. you know, it uh, it was quite daunting, but I managed to have a lovely hour, and uh, we landed uh, back down um, before the sunset, and uh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, it's a good, good lesson. It's good, good for lesson. you. That's what it is. It's. Uh, Broadens the mind, Carlos. Yes. It's all good. So, before we finish the show, then, Matt, you're going to tell us uh, how yeah. you got on with your experiences flying out there, then. Well, I, as I say, the first bit, um, there is something about Luton that, that just makes you not want to go there. I don't, I don't know what um, it is. Um, so, um, so excuse me. I'm flying from there at the end of this month, so don't be too. Um... Are you? <laughs> <laughs> But carry on. But carry on. Uh, whether it's Luton, and I will. Don't you worry. It's, it, whether it's uh, Luton or whether it's uh, Ryanair, but they do have this habit of making. They sort of put up the gate number and make you rush there immediately, uh, and then make you stand for forty minutes before 
you, you get anywhere near to boarding the aircraft. You think, well, why, why have we got to sort of stand and wait all this time when the aircraft is and, and all that kind of thing? And, it, you know, it's a bit of an issue when, uh, you know, um, you know, mum could do without standing for long periods of time. So it's all a bit uh, sort of, uh, I don't know, it just seems always, seems, the last bit always seems so very disorganised. I mean, Luton itself is an OK airport. As we walked out onto the tarmac, obviously, I saw for the first time, you know, how they de-ice an aircraft because they were busy sort of, they'd obviously done the one that we were, were flying on. They were then prepping an EasyJet one for a flight, flight sort of about half an hour later, I think. So just sort of de-icing all that. Um, Got up into the air, sort of very uneventful. It was a bit, uh, a bit turbulent two or three times. The uh, the pilot had to put the old um, sort of seatbelt signs on as we were uh, sort of riding the turbulence, sort of very bumpy uh, in places. Uh, but uh, I must say, the landing was absolutely impeccable. I've never experienced a land uh, a landing like it. I've been warned that sort of landing at uh, Lut- um, at uh, Lanzarote um, can be a bit well, not tricky, but can be a bit of an odd experience because you essentially appear to be landing on the water because it like, is literally right, I'm looking right forward on the to beach, this. almost. <laughs> you are? I'm sorry, I'm looking forward to this. This sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you can't wait. It'll be fine. Um, but uh, as I say, credit to the pilot. I mean, I didn't even feel it was t- touch the ground. The first thing that I was aware of that we were on the ground was the minute the air brakes came on uh, and we were sort of, you know, grinding to a hole. It was an absolutely impeccable landing. Did you uh, did really you was. get the the well-known Ryanair fanfare as you landed? They've changed it. No. They I haven't. No, they've changed it. There is still the fanfare, but it's a different arrangement. Whether they were getting into trouble for royalty rights or something with the previous <laughs> one, I don't know. But uh, uh, it uh, it doesn't quite say what it used to, which is about uh, unless it was just the aircraft we were on. But it uh, it, it didn't give us as another on time uh, arrival by Ryanair. It didn't do any of any of that. It just sort of gave out a load of stats about how well they did last year. Oh, right, so okay. they have changed it slightly, but. Uh, no, it was, uh, as I say, and the flight was on time, so it wasn't like they hadn't sort of made their their, their time and things. It was, a, it, was a, it was a very, un, it was a perfectly adequate flight. I mean, you know, we were overcharged for our sandwiches as usual, but uh, <laughs> there we are. That's, <laughs> it wouldn't be Ryanair without it, really. So you didn't, you, uh, didn't take no, me a, the, you didn't take me a picture of the aircraft then before you boarded then? Uh, no. No, they were oh. a bit funny about cameras being used on the tarmac. Really? Because there was a couple in front of us. Yeah, yeah. There was a couple in front of us that got told off for, for taking photographs as they were going up the stairs. Uh, oh, blimey. Well, I do it all the time. Holding, uh, <laughs> oh, so I, it, I not, do it all the time. Not so bad at the other end, but uh, I, I, think, I, think, I think I'd get away with it a lot more at you know, Lanzarote, and I shall try and do uh, something similar for you yeah, when, try. When, we, uh, when we board going home. But, get, uh, uh, get a good picture. Get Mother to take a picture of you so we can, uh, we can post it on the yeah. Facebook site then. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, try and, I'll stand by the landing gear or something. <laughs> so, Matt, you're flying back then on Sunday, aren't you, this week? You're flying yeah. back Sunday. Um, so you've got, uh, yeah. you've got another, you've got another day, full day tomorrow. To enjoy in the sun. I know. Yes, can't wait. Yes, and, yeah. Fingers uh, crossed. So it's been a bit rainy this afternoon. So we're we're hoping it's got it out of its system for a for a final day's burn before we get on the plane and come home. And I expect you're looking forward to that immensely to coming back to the UK. I would imagine. Yeah, I definitely imagine. 
Oh, I can't as much wait. As I would be. Everybody keeps telling me how cold it is. I really can't wait. It, it, to honestly, it is. It, the tarmac. <laughs> it's, it really is. It's been freezing here, but um, but uh, no snow yet. We've got that to come. So hopefully you'll bring oh, you'll bring back hopefully you'll bring back some uh, some sun with you, Matt, when you come. Well, or at least dissipate the clouds so that there is no snow. Yes, I, yes. I can cope with ice and things. I, I, I just don't like snow. I think it, I think it's the day job. It sort of makes you very nervous about sort of driving when it's uh, horrifically snowy. It's uh, it puts you off driving a twelve and a half ton vehicle, really. <laughs> So we're going to bring uh, we're going to bring episode forty five to a close then of the Plain Talking UK okay. podcast. Thanks for joining us from uh, Lanzarote, Matt. Yeah, you're an absolute legend for coming on. And uh, even though you're on holiday, you're, oh, you're, you're still dedicated to the show. We well, you that. see, you know, you one has to be committed to one's art. You know, I mean, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So don't forget, you can uh, you can find us on iTunes, Plain Talking UK. Uh, podcast find us on itunes download us on there and don't forget when you download us on itunes please do feel free to leave us some uh, some feedback on itunes uh review us on itunes because that all does help uh, to push us up the podcast sort of level as such and uh what's our website matt it is www.plaintalkinguk plain spelt p-l-a-n-e plaintalkinguk.com Yep, find us on our website. You can contact us via there as well. Just click on the Contact Us tab, send us an email, and uh, tell us your views or, or even give us a subject if it's something you want us to chat about on the show. And uh, do feel free to send us uh, some stuff there via that part of the website. Also, you can send us uh, an MP3 file as well if you want to send us some voice feedback to the show and uh, listen to yourself broadcast um, to the to the masses across the globe on the show. You can send uh, your feedback as an MP3 file uh, to plaintalkinguk at hotmail.com. Send us, uh, send us your feedback there and uh, we'll play you on the show. So we're going to bring episode 45... To a close, hello. <laughs> you still there? Hello, goodbye. Yeah, yes, I'm still there. Yes. <laughs> good, good. So we'll bring episode forty-five to a close end for this week. Don't forget to join us next week. Uh, me and Matt are going to be back. Uh, hopefully, Matt will be uh, joining me in the kitchen studio, possibly next Friday. Do you think, Matt? That'd be good. Uh, probably Saturday. I would have thought, given uh, work commitments and things, okay, I have a Saturday. pantomime rehearsal to attend on a oh, Friday. Oh, panto! Pan- it's panto time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It certainly is. So, yes, I would say probably Saturday sometime. Excellent. So join us in for episode number 46. And thanks yep. for joining us uh, for episode 45. As as always, we appreciate all of you listeners listening to the show. We really do. Very much so, and, yes. um, and we we love doing the show. So join us again next week. And from me here in the UK, it's a just tipping below zero degrees Celsius goodbye. And from here in sunny, well, not sunny, obviously, because it is still dark because it's the same time zone. Uh, but nevertheless, it is a very disappointing 17 degrees currently outside in the dark here in Lanzarote. So it's goodbye from Matt. And goodbye. <laughs>